So it's almost, actually, today, exactly one year ago, I was standing here, and I had the privilege to preach my, my heart's message. And you can go back on YouTube, and you can find that on our channel. I think it's on the Come With Me, Prepare the Way uh, playlist. Um, but it was a sermon about experiencing the Lord in secret, right? You remember that? Some of y'all who were here, uh, we spoke about Jeremiah 9.23, some of my favorite verses in the entire scripture, where God himself is looking at his people, he's speaking through Jeremiah, and he's saying, look at me. Uh, don't boast if you're rich. Don't boast if you're wise. Don't boast if you're mighty. Like, if you're going to boast, boast in the fact that you understand and know me. And we talked about that meant to understand God and to experience him. And how important it was to him that we feel like we know him, right? And we talked, uh, I shared that uh, quote from A.W. Tozer. It says, God doesn't have intimates, but he does have favorites. Or excuse me, he doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. I almost really messed that up. Um, He doesn't have favorites, but he does have intimates. And he's inviting us into that intimacy. And when we couple that with DJ's message before about how God, you can go back to YouTube and, and listen to that one as well, that God shows you. And he's pouring out his blessing on you. And now you have this opportunity to build this intimacy with the God of the universe who loves you deeper than anybody else could ever possibly love you. And he's inviting you into that love to have that type of relationship with him. And so today what we're going to do is talk about what happens naturally when you do that, when you're chosen, when you're blessed, when you have that intimacy, what happens to you and what happens to everybody around you. Okay, so uh, last year we had the theme, Come With Me, which was largely about, um, I I almost felt like it was more like a come away with me, right? Where God is inviting you uh, to come next to him and what he is doing, and he wants you to walk the same path that he's walking. And both for the purposes that he wants to accomplish in your heart as well as in everybody around you. And so... um, so to this year, and the teaching team was kind of looking forward to 2024, and we're like, okay, this, this is the year of mission, right? This is the year when we go, and we do, and we blow up the kingdom outside these four walls. And so uh, the doers in the group were getting, re- Marcus, y'all, he was getting really amped up. He was getting really excited about like this next season, but we just felt this spirit of caution, like, hey, y'all gotta, you better be careful, um, because if you've been in the church for very long, and I've definitely had this experience repeatedly in my own personal walk with the Lord, that there comes a time where you're walking with the Lord and the Lord is just slowing down or he's saying rest and you go on without him and you just grit your teeth and you do it in your own strength and you bring destruction and it's just ugly, right? And the best of intentions, uh, but it just falls flat, if the Lord is not with us. And so we're not going to say, go, do. What we're going to say instead is rest and receive. And out of the abundance of what we receive, we will naturally overflow on those around us. And that will constitute our doing. Amen? So if we, we can't give away what we don't have, if we don't have, don't try to give. Just overflow. And so that's the theme word that we felt like the Lord gave us as a church for this year. And we've challenged you guys uh, to think about a word or a thought that the Lord is giving you personally, your family personally for, uh, for this year. And so there's a little bit of background there. 
Um, so let's just launch into it. So we're going to read John chapter 7. This is going to be our foundational text this morning. John chapter 7. This is Jesus. Uh, it says, now on the last day, sorry, verse 37. John 7, 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If any of you are thirsty, come to me and drink. He who believes in me, the scripture says, from his innermost being, some, some translation says, from your belly, from your, from your heart, from deep inside of you will flow rivers of living water. That idea of living water, that will be the focus of our morning here. Uh, but this he spoke, continuing on in verse 39, but this he spoke of the spirit. That living water is the spirit's work inside of you, whom those who have believed in him were to receive. For the spirit had not yet been given, uh, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So we know that the spirit was going to be released on all of mankind after God became man and died on the cross. The veil was ripped in the Holy of Holies and the, and the Spirit of God was no longer to dwell in a little, in a little room, in a little temple, in a little town, in a little part of the globe, but he was to be released over the whole universe. Or, and so, anyways, we're really excited about that. So, living water. Let me, before I go any further, let me just pray. Um, Lord God, this concept, my, you know my desire, um, we love you. We want to love you more. Um, we want to explore this concept of living water. And Lord, I pray that after this morning, that any of us that are here physically or, or online, that we'll never read that phrase, living water, the same again. That you would give us a, a deep-rooted understanding and experience of what this living water is that Jesus repeatedly spoke so passionately about. Lord, we pray for this blessing for those of us here at Shine, but we also pray recognizing that there are churches all through our city and all through this county. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would bless the churches that are gathering in your name this morning, that, you, that, that within them there will be rivers of living water. So when people walk through the doors, they can't help but get wet with your spirit that's moving and transforming them from the inside out. Lord, specifically, we pray for the Pohemuses, Mike and Christy Pohemus at The Rock, and just the stuff that's going on with them and, and the, the city of Castle Rock right now as they try to pursue and, and uh, uh, provide for the homeless. Uh, just give them wisdom, Lord, right? Like, things get a little hairy when you've got a church that's in a court battle with the, you know, just, just give them wisdom. Pray that you make them shrewd, that they would just be um, just, yeah, effectual in what you are calling them to do. And I have so much faith in them that they're going to put first things first. And Lord, I pray that you just continue to bless them like crazy. Yes. Expand their ministry. Yes. Lord, we love you this morning. We pray that your presence would be here with us as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, all right, so living water. Um, I'm asked often, uh, some of y'all may know that I work in uh, bad, ugly oil and gas industry. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not this uh, pastoral guy. Um, I'm an engineer by trade, um, and so I work for this with a small group of us that go and we flip oil companies, smaller 
and mid-sized oil companies, uh, and I love what I do. I have a lot of fun. I find a lot of purpose in it. And what I bring to the table is my expertise is drilling engineering. So I can drill oil wells, and I've done that offshore. I've done it in China. I've done it in North Africa. I've done it all over the U.S. Um, uh, it's, it's something I know a lot about. Um, we've got Wes Enzyme in our church that comes on Saturday nights, and John Strahan. Uh, that dude's got way more experience than, even than I do in this same field. So we've got some local expertise about this, which I think is fun. But when people are asking me uh, about my job and is it, if it's safe and, and uh, what are the hazards, I often describe it like this. I say, okay, if I was to blow up a balloon, tie it up, hand you that balloon, and hand you like a coffee straw, and say, I want you to extract all the air out of the balloon without popping the balloon. That's essentially, at its core, what drilling engineers do, right? So we're, we're going in, we're going we're gonna to penetrate the earth, we're going to go down where the pressure is tens of thousands of PSI, and it's flammable fluids, it's natural gas, it's crude oil, and if we don't control the well, you're going to have an uncontrolled release, and that's where you have huge environmental disasters, people... Uh, if there's a spark, an explosion, people can die. It's just a bad thing for everybody. And so um, when that happens, when a well, it's called when, you know, when a well is coming in in an uncontrolled manner where it's flowing on its own, we call that in my industry, we call that a live well. We say, hey, the, the, the well is live. And that means something to all those that are kind of controlling what's going on. Um, and then when you have a live well, you actually go through a process called well control. If some of y'all remember the big uh, Macondo oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, it was all over the news about how do you kill this well, right? How do we make this well dead? And so this, this is terminology that's in my tribe that we speak all the time, live well, killing wells, dead wells. Um, and it is so applicable to the, the, the way the scripture speaks about this, right? Um, let me describe it one other way. Uh, I have a, a water well at my home here just a few miles away. It's 430 feet deep. The water level sits at about 200. Um, there is a pump in that well that every time we turn on the faucet and we, uh, we clear out the little tank, buffer tank that we have in our garage, that pump kicks on and, and it's delivering water from that well. That well is dead. It requires a pump. It requires energy and input to bring that water to the surface, okay? Uh, but there's a different type of water well. Uh, have you all ever heard of an artesian well? Have you all... Uh, an artesian well is one where the pore pressure inside the aquifer exceeds uh, the, the weight of the fluid from 400 feet or however deep it is to the surface, and it just flows. And that aquifer, it's, if it's continually being charged by rainwater or uh, anything else, it will, it will flow like this theoretically forever. And there's no pump, there's no, there's no energy required to bring this to surface. So we see this language in Genesis chapter 26, where um, before Abraham went through, and as he's inheriting this land, uh, he goes through and he digs all these water wells, right? And then their enemies come and they plug these wells up. And then it says in Genesis 26, Isaac, you remember Isaac? Isaac goes out there with his descendant, with his servants, and he's redigging these wells that have been plugged up. And it says, there's a verse in there that says, as they were doing that, they discovered a well of living water. Well, what is that? It's a, it's a live well. It's an artesian well. So as they were digging it in, 
as normal. Here comes the water seeping in. Once they got to a certain depth, they couldn't go any deeper because the water just kept kind of flowing in. And then what normally happens is that water level would rise to the point of equilibrium and it would stop. And that's where you got to drop a bucket. And there's tons of references in scripture about people dropping buckets and wells and pulling out. And that's how they would get their water. That's not what happened this time. They dug the well, the water seeps in, that water level came right to where they expected it to stop, but it didn't stop, and it just keeps going until it overflowed the top of the well, and essentially what they ended up with was a man-made spring-fed stream. It was a live well. It was a well of living waters, okay? Uh, In Leviticus... um, we see this language as well, and I won't share this text with you because it's, um, it's gross. Um, it's, <laughs> these these um, parts of Leviticus, if you're familiar with Leviticus, where you know, these certain body parts because of certain things would become dirty, and they need to be cleansed. And so it would say in the text, um, you, you are to wash this with living water. Some translation says flowing water, uh, running water, um, other translations say fresh water, right? Fresh water didn't mean not seawater. It meant fresh water that was new, not something that had been sitting in a, a pot and stagnant and old and had mosquitoes in it and gross. It was, that's not going to cleanse you. What you need is you need living water to cleanse you. And so you see these breadcrumbs that the Lord leaves throughout the text to, to start to, to paint that picture that later is going to be a prophetic picture and when Jesus starts talking about living water, guys, he's not talking about water. He's talking about this, this idea, just like when, when Isaac's descendants dug that well and they found it. How rich do you think they felt? They were like, jackpot. No longer do we just have a well here where we got to work to feed our crops. But now we have a stream and this whole like wilderness area is going to be this lush green pasture now for our, for our flocks. Um, Leviticus says it, it, you, it cleanses you. Um, this living water cleanses us. We see it, it restores. Um, Isaiah 44.3, I'm going to run through some scriptures because the, the prophets start to adopt this same language, uh, which I love that my industry is also picked up. But Isaiah 44.3 says, For I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on dry ground. And then there's a, a, a semicolon there. And he interprets what he just said. We're not talking about water here, guys. He says, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. That's what water on thirsty ground is, thirsty land. And my blessing on your descendants. That's the streams on dry ground. Isaiah is being very clear. We're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit here. Okay? Isaiah 35, 6. Then the lame leap like a deer, and the mute will shout for joy. Um, I don't know if you know somebody that's lame or somebody that's mute, but this is a big deal. Um, water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. These waters will restore the places in your heart and in people's lives that desperately need the, the, the life-saving, life-giving moisture of living water. It cleanses, it restores, and then finally it sustains we see again, I'm going to run through some more text, Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Okay, we're no longer talking about the dry ground anymore. We're talking about you when you're in a sun-scorched land. 
He will satisfy your needs and will strengthen your frame, literally strengthen your bones. You will be like a well-watered garden. But, but where will you be? A well-watered garden? You will be a well-watered garden in a sun-scorched land. Your context may be terrible, may be catastrophic, may be so bad that you're like, I don't know how I can live another day. And yet in the midst of that, you will be like a well-watered garden because you have a spring whose waters never fail. You have a spirit that is working within you who will never fail to be there for you, to minister to you, to speak the words of the Father to you in a, in a time exactly when you need to hear it and how you need to hear it. He will not fail you. Psalms 1-3, I love the first three verses of Psalms. Um, it, the conclusion is, hey, that person will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It says that person who has that artesian well inside of them, right? So Jesus, John 7, he said, come to me and drink, and you, it'll be like you have rivers of living water inside of you. Um, that's like a, a tree planted by streams of living water. And if, if you think about this, um, if you are like a tree with deep roots, right? Not roots that are exposed on a riverbank, and that tree is about to roll into the water one of these days, but, but you are adjacent to uh, a deep source of waters that will never fail, will never stop flowing, that don't require energy and buckets to try to bring to the surface, but you've got roots set down in that living water, what does that tree care if there's a drought or if there's a heat wave or high winds for that matter? It doesn't. Its leaves will never, never wither and its fruit will never fail. Um, it's definitely not concerned about survival. Isaiah 55, 1, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. This is what Jesus was quoting in John chapter 7, that first verse I read. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. See, this is water that you don't have to labor for. It's wine and milk that you don't have to buy. He's just saying, come. All you got to do is Come. This water sustains us when we have no money, uh, when our circumstances are awful. And so what I wanted to do is, is just ask for maybe one or two uh, testimonies of a time when you or someone you knew, um, when the Lord uh, sustained you despite horrific circumstances or tough circumstances. Has anybody got a a story or a testimony of when you experienced that? When the Lord sustained you? Over here. You mind sharing your name? You, you've been beating on the drums for two days, but... Hi, my name's Chris. Um, I, uh, it's funny just because... Um, I wasn't able to sit in the service last night, but sitting in now, uh, this this message is very much applicable to me in this moment. Um, <clears throat> I've been struggling with a uh, like a friendship relationship that has been something like just powerful in my heart that I know that I've I've 
uh, kind of done exactly what you did. God told me to slow down, and I just kept charging forward with the de- determination and wanting to uh, um, do everything I, 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 pop, uh, I possibly could. And uh, it, it got ugly. It got messy. Um, and it was this past week when I just kind of finally listened and just said, I just need to cut this, put mm. it aside. Mm. Um, and it was, it, it's been strange because it's been on my mind of, um, I don't feel the way that I thought I would feel mm. separating myself from this. Yeah. Um, I knew it's, it's been something where, um, like my own desires and wants has kept me in it. Yeah. And I know that God has been trying to remove it from me. Yeah. Um, and I feel more at peace now that it yeah. is behind me. Um, and it's, it's very much strange because I, I feel like I couldn't really speak about this situation to anyone that's like outside of the church. They just yeah. wouldn't understand. Right. Um, and that was one of the biggest issues with this particular friendship yeah. that I had is um, they, uh, they had a lot of past poor experiences with the church. Sure. Um, and as much as I wanted to show them um, or at least open some sort of door to help that, uh, yeah. help them get the experience that I know yeah. and, and believe yeah. in, um, it's been just something real powerful. That's and good. So, um, that's good. I just want to thank you. Yeah, for and this. it was Chris, right? Yes. Yeah, so Chris, that actually uh, underscores. I'm, I'm going to reference back to what you just said mm-hmm. here in just a second because uh, that's really good. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else? Where well, the Lord sustain, has sustained you in tough times. My name is Kim Zish, and about uh, three and a half years ago, um, my husband and I were on a road trip in our motorhome, and um, we were up in... Washington out on a bike and we, we, we were you know parked the motorhome and I know how to do all the stuff too you know that's involved with the motorhome icky enough um, but anyway we were on a, a little bicycle thing and my husband started slurring in his speech and then I googled oh, no. what does slurring in your speech mean and it said he's having a stroke and so I said to Brad I think you're having a stroke and he goes no I'm not that was, you know, that was part of the stroke, the slurring in your speech. But fortunately, we were right around the corner from a hospital because I Googled where's the nearest hospital. So we were able to walk to the hospital. But the interesting thing is, is it was incredible. I started reaching out to my friends and asking them, or just telling them what was going on with Brad. And one of my friends spoke a word over me and said, that, hey, I'm sitting here with this gentleman and he is speaking a word over you and he is saying that Brad is not only going to recover, but he's going to be better than what he was even before he had the stroke. This was a friend that was on the fo- on a phone. Yep, yeah, huh. yeah. Uh, uh, this pastor we're, f- we're affiliated with in Mexico where wow. we do mission work down there. And, and I hung on to that. Hmm. Like, I just hmm. hung on to that. And I had the peace of God that was tremendous during this time, because he was paralyzed on his whole right side. And so, you know, there, there was a lot of work ahead of him, Brad, 
Um, you know, in the beginning days, he was he didn't want to live, you know, because he was wow. like, what what yeah. what's going to happen? But God came, you know, into him and just you know just gave him hope, and and so forth. So it was that was that was amazing for wow. us. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. That's a that's a great testimony. So you see. Uh, this artesian well was flowing from within that, that, that friend and that pastor friend. Uh, and there was living water there that wasn't for them, right? And so they necessarily, they overflowed. They called you. I don't know if you called them or they called you, but they had a word from the Lord in that moment. And it's exactly what you needed to hear. Um, and that is, that is so good. This is how the Lord wants to work in us all the time, all the time. Uh, but this is not what we do. Uh, Jeremiah was another guy, uh, Jeremiah 2.13, you can look it up, um, uh, the Lord speaking to his people, this is after um, the, the people of God, right, these are the people um, who have been conquered by Babylon and they're off in exile and everybody's figuring out what just happened and Jeremiah, said, or the Lord says this and it's noted in Jeremiah 2.13, he says, my people have committed two sins, they have forsaken me the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, so what we want to do, instead of relying on the Lord and looking to heaven when things get tough and saying, Lord, what do, you, what do, you, what do I do with this, right? And going back to uh, our source, going back to that well, going back to the water, um, we dig cisterns. So that's what civilizations used to do is they sprung up next to a water source. Um, but if you don't trust that source, if that water was going to dry up in some period of drought or you thought it would, or if you thought surely my enemies are gonna lay siege to this city and they're gonna poison the water or they're gonna dam up the water, uh, by whatever means or excuse, if you don't trust the source of the water, you're gonna dig a cistern which was, I don't know if y'all have been to these ancient um, uh, ruins or, or been to the Temple Mount, but there's these massive rooms that are kind of dug down and they're sealed and they hold just a tremendous amount of water. And what the Lord says is they don't work, they leak. And so when you think of all the things that the Lord does for you, I almost want to pass the mic, but we won't take the time to do this. All the stuff that God the Father does for you. Okay, he's rescued you. He gives you an identity. He gives you self-worth and value. Um, he has a calling on your life, a destiny. He equips you to meet and to fulfill that calling. Um, he's your source for everything in the moment. Uh, he provides your physical needs. Uh, he heals you. He, he provides for your spiritual and emotional needs in the moment, exactly what you need. Um, he protects us. He I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? And the Lord is simply saying, when he creates mankind, he's saying, I have this creation that I am absolutely head over heels in love with, um, and I want to do all of these things for you, and I want you to enjoy me. And mankind does what? They stiff arm God, and they say, nope, I don't trust you. I'm going to dig my own cisterns. Right, so then God says, well, okay, that didn't work, so I'm going to pull off this man, Abraham, and, and his descendants. They will be my people, and I will be their God, and we will show the rest of the world what it is like to be, have a relationship and be intimate with the Father God. 
right? We'll show them, we'll draw them to us because of the relationship we have here. And then what did his people do? Jeremiah 2.13, they rejected the fountain of living water and they dug their own cisterns. And then here we are, generations later, Jesus, God becomes man. He's here. The people have been uh, restored from exile. They're back in the land of Israel. And Jesus is walking around and you can just sense, I think this is why he was so passionate about this living water concept is, um, well, before a few chapters of John chapter seven, when what we just read, um, is John chapter 4, and that's the story of the woman at the well. Y'all remember this story? And he goes to this woman, and he's really thirsty, and he says, you know, can you give me something to drink? And she says, um, and she starts to kind of quibble with him, and he says, look, you know, and he just goes real heavy-handed in this whole living water thing. He said, if you knew who I am, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And whoever drinks of that will never thirst again. And she's just like, whoa, okay, that was kind of intense and weird. Um, but you miss the context at the beginning of John chapter four. We always gloss over that. And what it says is that Jesus was in Judea. He was in that Southern region where Jerusalem is. And it said that the Pharisees were becoming, had become aware that Jesus had more disciples, more baptisms, and was having a greater impact on society than John the Baptist had had. And well, John the Baptist was on their blacklist. So now they're like, all right, Jesus, uh, what's up with you? We want to kill you now, just like we did John the Baptist. And so um, it says that uh, Jesus, and we can infer that he's led by the Holy Spirit, that he's leaving Judea and he's going to Galilee and on the way is Samaria. And that's when he has this encounter with the woman at the well. So um, I don't think he was preoccupied with water. I, thought, I think he had that eternal perspective where God wanted to have a relationship with people who were stiff-arming him. He chose a, a people off to the side and said, okay, now you will be my special people and we'll show them. And then he got stiff-armed again and again and again. And, the, and Jesus is just bearing this on his shoulders as he comes and he has this engagement with a woman at the well. And he just brings up this living water thing. So then he's in Galilee, he's teaching, he's doing his thing there. And uh, y'all, Galilee is kind of famous for us. We know what Galilee is and where it is, but um, that, it, it's like uh, nowhere. Um, no offense for anybody here, but it's almost as if, if Jesus came to the U.S., that he was like in central Kansas, right? Like just, there's nothing there, right? And his disciples are like, Jesus, you are incredible. You are the answer to everything. We need to get out of Kansas and we need to go to Washington, D.C., because that's where the movers and the shakers are, the political leaders, uh, the religious leaders, like that, as, as, as DC goes, so does the rest of the nation. Let's get out of Galilee and go to Jerusalem. It's the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles is going on right now. It's a big deal in the Hebrew culture. Let's go and let's put you on display, right? And get this thing going. And Jesus says, it's not yet my time. Y'all go without me. And so they go, and then you can read in John chapter seven, um, I'm sure the spirit came to him and said, ah, just kidding, that was for them. For you, I actually want you to go. And so he sneaks in. It says he, he disguises himself and he goes to the feast. And I picture it as if Jesus was to show up in our day, uh, disguised, just looks like a regular guy, at, maybe at Christmas time, right? A big festival, big holiday season. And what would happen if Jesus walked around you know, Rockefeller Square? Or if he went to the, you know, German markets in Germany. Or he went to, you know, wherever your favorite 
uh, holiday season experience takes place, if he just spent time there, would he do the same thing? What he did there, going back to our kind of keystone passage here, he says, now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. He didn't just raise his voice so people could hear him. He cried out passionately. Are, are any of you thirsty? Do any of you want more? Like, come to me and drink. If you believe in me, the scripture that you, you hallow so, so dearly, the scripture says, if you do this, if you believe in me, it will become inside of you a river of living water. He's talking about the spirit. He's like, you guys are missing out. You're missing out. This is Jesus's passion. It's, it's, uh, he talks about it so much in his ministry. So we're going to transition here, um, uh, just praying and, and praying with the, the prayer team and the teaching team. Um, we just want to declare this prophetic promise over you today, okay? I just want to make something crystal clear. If you are in Christ and his spirit is inside of you, now we may... We may thirst. I don't think we'll ever lose that longing. But you never have to thirst again. You have that artesian well inside of you. You have the source of all you desire, all you need. Every reason right now that you're dissatisfied and unhappy because you don't have X, Y, Z, the Lord can satisfy that desire. Right? Um. Second prophetic promise, um, the Lord wants to overflow you like that artesian well. Uh, what he has in store for you and the work that the Spirit wants to do inside of you, you can't hold it. It is beyond your capacity. You are going, you will, and you are overflowing. You are overflowing. We're going to show um, a time-lapse video here of... Uh, just looks like an elephant graveyard to me. Like when I see this, I see death. I see uh, maybe there were things alive before, but not right now. Um, this is where things go to die. And then look what a little bit of moisture does. Isn't that amazing? The browns and grays turn into lush greens. Um, we see this in different parts of, of our world uh, all the time. Sometimes the rains can be hundreds of miles away. Um, sometimes it's a deluge. Sometimes it's just a little sprinkle. Sometimes it's fog. Whatever. When moisture comes, now you've got life. I'm going to read. We're going to transition here. I'm going to read Ezekiel 47. And uh, this, is a, this is a prophet uh, who... The, the Hebrew people are exiled in Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel is in Babylon. And these people are very quickly forgetting who they are. They're forgetting their God. They're forsaking that fountain of living water. Um, and they're starting to believe, hey, I'm Babylonian now. Um, and the Lord sends Ezekiel to his people to say, no, 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 no. This is just a, a wasteland. This is just a wilderness that I have you walking through right now. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you have inside of you. Don't forget the calling and the destiny that I have on your family. 
and he goes through and he's saying uh, some bunch of really cool things I don't have time to go into, but um, I am going to, let's just transition now, just in a, in a spirit of prayer, I'm going to read, we're not going to have it on the screens, because I just want you to listen, uh, Ezekiel 47, the first 12 verses, okay? And I want you, there's going to be a lot of details here, they're going to be confusing, uh, they all have very rich meaning, we're not going to go into now, but I want you to focus on two things. One, uh, we are taught, Paul's teaching in the New Testament over and over and over again, say the temple is no longer that brick and mortar thing over there on the hill. You are the temple. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit now. Um, so every time it talks about the house or the temple, think, that's me. And then I want you to focus on the water and the behavior of the water, okay? Ezekiel 47, then he brought me, God brings Ezekiel in the spirit he brought me back to the door of the house, the temple. And behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east. Okay, let me pause there. Water was flowing from under the threshold of the house, as if from, the, from some deep place in the, in the temple, as if it was coming from its innermost being, this water was coming out from underneath the threshold, and it was flowing to the east, uh, for the house faced east. There's a principle there, I believe, where, where we're called to overflow, that we have rivers of living water inside of us and we're gonna overflow, but we overflow wherever we're facing. So church, where do you need to face this morning? And the water was flowing down from under and from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. He brought me about out of the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate by the way of the gate that faces east, and behold, the water was trickling from the south side. Um, guys, uh, Dan actually said this so beautifully in our teaching team. He said, sometimes we wait for those tsunami moments, like at work or with our friends, where it's like we just have to wait for everything to be perfect, and then we'll just pummel them with Jesus, right? Like, you need Jesus. It's not a tsunami, guys. It's a trickle. We are to just overflow all the time a little bit all the time, continually, never failing. Um, when the man, this is uh, the representative of God, when the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, a measuring line, he measured a thousand cubits. That's about a quarter mile. He measures a thousand cubits and he led me through the water and the water was now up to my ankles. No longer a trickle. Now, now we've got something real. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and reaching my knees. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and reaching my loins. Again, he measured a thousand. It was a river that, was, was I, that I could not ford. I could not walk across for the water had risen enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. The man looked at me and he said, son of man, have you seen this before? Does this resonate with anybody? Something, this, this prophetic imagery of as it goes, it gets bigger. Do y'all remember Acts 1.8? After Jesus dies, his disciples are gathered. And the instruction there is wait here for power on high. For when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem. Goes out, gets bigger. Jerusalem and Samaria goes out, gets bigger. And to the ends of the earth. Y'all remember the, the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had in, in Daniel chapter 2? That Daniel, he brought in Daniel to interpret, and he had this statue with all these different parts, and they represented different kingdoms. And the, the, the dream that Daniel interpreted was he saw this rock that was carved out that was thrown at the statue, and it just pulverized the statue. But that rock, as it went, it went from a rock to a boulder to a mountain, and then it became a mountain that filled the whole earth. 
Y'all, this is the kingdom of God. It grows as it goes. And you can stay right by the temple and it's a trickle, but the further out you are, you can go in faith, the deeper it becomes. The bigger it becomes. It'll do this in your heart and it'll do that. And the Lord wants uh, his spirit to do this work in those around you. Son of man, have you seen this before? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. Now when he had returned, behold, on the bank of the river, there were many trees on one side and on the other. Then he said to me, these waters go out toward the eastern region and go down into the Arabah, the the desert. Um, Then they go into the sea. The sea there is the Dead Sea. Have any of y'all been to the Dead Sea? Um, Pretty dead, dry place. Um, Being made to flow into the Dead Sea, or the sea is what it says, and the waters of the sea became fresh. Pretty powerful. Uh, It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live, and there will be very many fish. For these waters go there, and the others become fresh. So here's the phrase. Everything will live where the river goes. Where are you facing? And it will come about that fishermen, now we have industry, will stand beside it from the Engedi to Engalim, there will be a place for the spreading of nets. Their fish will be according to their kinds, like the fish of the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Be, it, there's just so many fish. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Y'all, y'all know what makes a marsh or a swamp? Water comes in, living water, fresh water, rushing water comes in, and it's dammed up. It's not allowed to flow out, and it becomes stagnant, it becomes a marsh. There's some of us, we, we just need to wrestle today. Where are we damming up? Where do we need to face? And then where have we got those dams, those berms, where we're not allowing our overflow? By the river on its bank on one side and on the other will grow all kinds of trees for food. This sounds like Psalms 1-3. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail they will bear every month, sounds like Revelation 22, because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be good for food and their leaves for healing. This is what we want to do with the few minutes that we have left. Um, and I feel encouraged to do this because you guys are awesome and this is a family and this is shine. Um, and and we, we hold fast to the teaching that, um, you know, we believe, we don't believe church is a spectator sport. Uh, we believe everybody, you're not to come empty-handed, but everybody is to come with a... a with, with a song, a revelation, a teaching, uh, a tongue, an interpretation, or a prayer. And so we want to lean into prayer uh, right now for the few minutes that we have left. Um, and if I'll say before I launch off in the instructions, uh, if you're new here or if you're an extreme introvert, you get a pass. We're not going to judge you. It's okay. Um, you can sit right where you're at, and we're going to have um, prayer prompts on the screen. But what we want to lean into today is what area of your life, whether it be your family, your kids, your workplace, that new business you're trying to start, your neighborhood, where you spend your time, your hobbies, what circle of influence do you have where you feel like you have been berming up these living waters and not allowing or not being comfortable with that overflow? Maybe it's because you thought it had to be a tsunami and it's okay to just be a trickle. 
But what we want to do before we launch off into this year about overflow and preach sermons on marriage and parenting and how to reach your neighborhood and and discipleship and all that, before we launch into that, we just want to ask the Lord, hey, Lord, this is an area where I don't overflow like I should. And that area looks pretty barren right now, but I want it to be lush and green. I want it to sound like Ezekiel 47. So what I'm going to ask you to do here in a few minutes, we're all going to stand up. And, uh, and if you um, are willing to pray for somebody else, we don't have this staged or, or figured out, uh, but I'm hoping it's not just two of you. I'm hoping it's like 10 of you uh, that w- are willing to pray for other people. I want you to make your way to the back, the, the sides, or maybe even right here in the front. And, uh, and for the rest of you... Um, if you think of an area in your life where you want to overflow, uh, for me, what I confessed last night was uh, my home. I feel like everybody else gets the best of me. And my kids, unfortunately, they get the worst. And I don't know what it is, fear, expectation, projects over people. I don't know what it is in me, but I, I really have a hard time just flowing freely on my kids. And I'm embarrassed by that. I, I don't like that about me but it's something that's real. And so I went to a guy that was standing right here and I just said, hey, I want to overflow on my family. And the guy looked at me and he said, Justin, I was with the Lord this morning and I got a word for you for how you act in your family and when you're at home. And I've been fretting all day because I didn't know how to break the ice and say it to you, but now I'm standing in front of him asking him to pray for me in the context of my family, and he has a word from the Lord given previously to do that. I'm telling you, y'all can pray for yourself, but there's something about when you ask somebody else and you hear the words of the Lord audibly for you, exactly how you need to hear it, and exactly at this time. And so, This morning, this weekend is just all about preparation for what the Lord has for us in 2024. And y'all, Jesus is standing there saying, are you thirsty? Are people thirsty around you that you're not overflowing on because of some berm, some barrier you have? Let's just, as simple as that, just ask each other for prayer. Hey, pray for me in my neighborhood. I want to overflow in my workplace, just whatever it is. And let's just lean into this for a few minutes. And then we'll wrap up and you guys can be dismissed. Is that okay? So let's everybody stand up, kind of break the cobwebs off a little bit. If you are willing to pray right now, if you would just make your ways to the side and to the back and maybe in the front, and then the rest of you, uh, just wrestle with the Lord and just simply, guys, you have not because you ask not, just ask for overflow. All right, as people continue to pray, I just will conclude um, with a, something that the Lord has been speaking to me, and maybe it resonates with you. But I was reading through um, some of the Old Testament reading in the book of Kings, and Second Kings 18 speaks about a king named Hezekiah. And it says in verse 4, sorry, in verse 3, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. And it says, he removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the things that they were worshiping idols with. And it says that he did more in right in the eyes of the Lord than any king before him or after him, if you read on this story. And so 
I don't know if this resonates with you, but it has been something that I have not been able to walk away from since the beginning of the year, and that is this. May it be said of us that we do right in the eyes of the Lord. And, you know, it's in moments like this and getting prayer or just taking time to reflect on his goodness and what he has done for us, that it's in those moments that we allow the Holy Spirit that stream of living water to actually show us the things that are right in his eyes. And so I'm just going to conclude with a prayer for all of you, and then um, you will be dismissed, and you can quietly sneak out of here while all the prayers are still going, or just sit here and continue to reflect on what the goodness of the Lord has for you. But let's pray and ask God to make us people who would do things that were right in his eyes. Amen. So, Father God, we come before you, and I thank you for this entire congregation. I thank you for the family of Shine, and I thank you for the fact that you are stirring a hunger and a desire and a thirst to do the things that are right in your eyes. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning, and we ask that you would reveal those things to us by your Holy Spirit, as Justin just so eloquently uh, shared with us and taught us streams of living water is what you profess, Jesus, would happen when the Holy Spirit came into our lives. And so, Lord, the Holy Spirit is in each and every believer that is in this room right now. And so I pray that you, by your Spirit, would give us an understanding of what it, what it means for each one of us individually to do things right in your eyes. And God, give us the boldness and the courage to step out in the things that you speak to us. And God, may, may we be a people that will be talked about as Hezekiah was. May we be a people that people say they did right in the eyes of the Lord. Help us to do that this year, and we thank you for that in your name. Amen.